Morning, everyone. Uh, looking forward to meeting with some of you even after the service in that guest connection. Even as Pastor Jim said, we'd love to meet with you, answer questions, help you get acclimated and feel comfortable uh, here at Hope. We're in second, the second week of this series, this fall series, Bringing Heaven to Earth, focusing on uh, the Lord's Prayer. And I'd love for you to have your Bibles open or bring up the passage in Matthew chapter 6 on a device uh, that you might have uh, or probably have with you, not might, have it with you. We all always walk out our house with our phones and devices. So, And uh, so as you turn there, um, yesterday morning, Lori and I uh, competed and ran in the Akron Half Marathon. And it's not the first time we've done it. And I've done a number of times, and there's always a few takeaways uh, from that type of experience. One, I don't know what it says about mankind that thousands upon thousands of people intentionally put themselves through that. I don't know what it says. Every time we've done it, I mean, and not just like we choose to put ourselves through that, we pay money to do it. And not just a little bit of money. I mean, it's a lot of money to compete in that distance, those distances uh, of races. I, I'm still working through that in my mind and work through it at mile between mile eight and 10 uh, yesterday a little bit too. But I'll, another uh, takeaway, again, every time we've done it is the diversity of people that run these races. If you've never done it before, you might uh, maybe just assume that there's a certain type of person uh, that runs 13.1 miles or 26.2 miles. But as you actually run these races and you are on the road with these people, on this journey, so to speak, with these people, there are people that uh, you would say, how in the world are they running? But they're running. I was passed yesterday, and it was a very humbling experience. It happens every race. I was passed by a gentleman who had to be at least 85 years old. And he was moving right past me. And I, you know, I'm a little competitive, and part of me wanted to say, I'm going to keep up with him, and he was gone. He just disappeared over the horizon. There he goes. There, there's men, and there's women, there's young, and there's old. There's people that it's their very first race. There's people that have run... 20 plus half marathons or full marathons. Uh, Ken Merkel, who's here today, his son ran the full marathon in tw two hours and 30 minutes yesterday, which is amazing. Like I finished just over two hours. He finished 26.2 miles in 29 more minutes than I did 13 miles. I mean, it's amazing. Like you have such a diversity of people that are competing on this race. And one of my favorite parts of the experience is the encouragement that happens along the way. Again, at different points of the race, people are struggling. And even when they're not struggling, there's a sense of community. There's a sense of camaraderie. There's a sense of we're all in this together. And we're going to do what we can to help each other get there, get to the end. And all along the race, strangers are speaking to one another and saying, keep going. Someone stops on the side. A stranger many times will just go over and say, are you okay? And they'll slow themselves down, their pace, to help someone. And for me, there's many takeaways. I think images, it even helps with this journey we call faith and the community we call the church. And the reality is, as we think about church, friends, we are all over the map. 
some of us are just joining this journey called faith. Some of us are still exploring this journey called faith. Some of us have been on this journey uh, for a longer time than others. And, and so we all bring a diversity of experiences and backgrounds into it. And, and, and along the way, as a church, we are to have these moments where we stop and we encourage each other. Because let's be honest, life is hard. Friends, life is hard. It's difficult. It's painful. And, and, and that's just on a normal week. You know, so, so I, I believe those moments where we just stop and encourage each other to say, keep going. Walk alongside people is so vital. This gathering is an opportunity to do that. So we gather like this corporately every week, Sunday at 9 and Sunday at 11 o'clock. We gather like this. And, and this gathering, we do a number of things in this gathering. And, and, and so we worship, we, we listen to God's word, we give. And, and just as important as this gathering, what we're doing even right now, listening to God's word, is encouraging one another. Friends, that's why we have a cafe. We have a cafe not to compete with Starbucks and Panera down the road. <laughs> we're not trying to compete with them, give you better coffee. But what we're trying to do is create a space that you can gather, you can gather in here, you can gather out there, but you can gather with other people to not just rush out, but to encourage each other, to share life with one another. Another opportunity during the week for us is Wednesday night. <laughs> We gather here for a variety of ministries on Wednesday night, uh, youth ministry, our middle school ministry, our kids' ministry is on Wednesday night, but we also have prayer meeting. And friends, prayer meeting is an opportunity to encourage each other. When I, I was in, again, the gathering on Wednesday night just this, a few days ago, and, 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 and these people don't know this, but as other people, I'm, I, I'm listening to other people pray, they are encouraging me. See, prayer meeting isn't just about us. It's about encouraging and helping and praying for others. So, so here's the ask, even as we talk about a prayer. Prayer is learned as we pray. It, it, we can't study it, and we are studying it. We're learning about it. We can talk about um, ways to pray and how to pray and, and all that. We can read books about prayer, and I would encourage you to read books about prayer. But really, when it comes down to it, the way we learn to pray is pray. And, and so I would just encourage you, like, look at Wednesday night as an opportunity to learn. If you're kind of new at praying and praying in a corporate gathering like that, and that might be very intimidating. And, but I just encourage you to come and be encouraged by others and encourage others as you pray. And, and we would even invite you, and some of you maybe have never been to our prayer meeting on Wednesday night. We'd encourage you to come. And, and one of the, the, the um, things I hear as I encourage people and invite people to come is, my life's just so busy. And I get it. I've got four kids. And right now, my job, feel, I'm a dad, but I feel like I'm also a taxi driver. Maybe to put it in the context, I'm an Uber driver. Like, I'm just taking one to football practice, one to uh, golf matches. I'm taking one to piano lessons. I'm taking one to a friend's house. I'm running out to Drug Mart at 10 o'clock at night to find that poster board that they forgot. Oh, I have a project due tomorrow. Like, I get that. I get the schedule and the routine and the busyness of our lives. I, I get that. So, so here's even the step we're... I guess proposing is maybe you commit to come once a month. Can you fit once a month into your schedule on a Wednesday night? Maybe put on the calendar, put on your device. Say in a few weeks, I'm going to go on that Wednesday. I'm going to try to do everything I can to get things ready and, and done at home or get home earlier from work or whatever it might be. Just I need to get there. I want to get there at least once a month. We'd love to have you. 
And it's a moment as we're on our journey to encourage one another and to pray. We learn how to pray by praying and we learn how to pray by listening to others pray. So I'd encourage you to come and we're going to continue to learn about this prayer that Jesus taught uh, his disciples. And the reality is, I like this quote as it relates to prayer. just thought it was encouraging. It was encouraging to me. I think I even shared this last week. But Maxine Dunham says, in the school of prayer, we are all beginners. We'll never arrive. We'll never say, I am an expert. I'm done studying. I'm done learning how to pray. Like we are all, as Maxine says, we are all in the school of prayer. We are all beginners. We're all in kindergarten. We're all kind of entry level as it relates to prayer. And might that be our posture here, continue to be our posture here at Hope Church. So I want to read some of this prayer that we started learning from, um, that Jesus taught his disciples and he taught his followers and he teaches us even today. Uh, what does it look like to pray this way? And Jesus, I want to read again some of the verses we read last week, just especially for those who are just joining this journey, uh, going through this prayer together. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites, for they love, pray, love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So again, those two, uh, Jesus is saying, kind of gives, first gives two negative examples of how, how, don't pray like them. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the pagans. So the, the hypocrites are praying in a, in a public setting. And, and they're doing it. The motive is key here because Jesus is not saying it's wrong to pray in public. That's already taken place in this gathering. It's not wrong to pray in public. Uh, Jesus is really getting to the heart of the issue. Are you doing it to be seen by men? And that's why they were doing it. And even the pagans who are babbling, they had so many gods and so many deities. And what they would do in their minds is, and their, with their words, they would try to name off every single deity and then lift up a petition or request to every single deity. And then they would go back and keep going through the deity names and keep going through the request, hoping that somehow in, in saying that over and over and over again, they could twist God's arm to do what they wanted him to do. So their prayers were longer. And is Jesus saying it's wrong to pray long prayers? No, it's not. I think it's appropriate. Jesus, at one, we, we read in the Gospels, Jesus prayed all night. That's a long prayer. So he's not saying it's wrong to pray in public, and he's not saying it's wrong to have longer prayers. What he's really getting to is the heart. It is the heart to be seen by other people, to say, wow, look how, listen to them pray. Listen how spiritual they are, and be like this pride. Or is it to try to manipulate God with our words? And Jesus is really getting to the heart. Why are you praying? What's the motive behind the prayer that you're praying? And then Jesus says, your father already knows what you need. And then he says in verse 9, then this is how you should pray. He, he doesn't say this is what you should pray. And again, he's not saying don't pray this. It's appropriate to pray the Lord's prayer. But I think what he's saying is you don't have to just stick to these words. But he's really offering a model a how, what, what should be emphasized in what you pray about. So it's not necessarily saying what, like you just have to say these words. You can, it's appropriate to pray these words. 
but he's really getting to the how. What's the, he's, saying a mo, he's presenting a model, and it's really, we see this modeled and, and lived out through Jesus' life. He, he just didn't pray about these things. He, he lived out these things. And, and that's really the motive here, is as we pray the Lord's Prayer, as we pray these words, as we study these words, that it wouldn't just be words that we pray. But I pray that as we pray them and think about them and dig into what does that phrase mean embedded in this prayer, it would change how we live. And I believe as we do that, heaven then comes to earth more and more through the way we live our lives. So the first part of the prayer we talked about last week, then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I don't know about you, but as I re- I'm reading from the NIV uh, this morning, I learned this prayer, I think, growing up in the King James. So everything in me when I read this, I want to say, our Father who art in heaven, uh, but it's not there in the NIV, and hallowed be your name. <laughs> is even how it was, I remember, said growing up in the service, the, the liturgy of our service, the, the church I went to growing up. And, but we're talking about verse 1, our Father in heaven. We have a good Father who wants to be with his children, wants to spend time. It's, this prayer is about relationship. It's about intimacy. It's about being with God. And as we are with God, we get to lift up these requests. And we're going to talk today about the second phrase, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. We're going to take apart that phrase. Let's think first about name. Hallowed be your name. We all have a name. You have a name. I have a name. You might like your name. You might not like your name. Maybe you've changed your name. Um, Maybe you know the history or the background of why your mom and dad or just mom or just dad or or gave you that name. Maybe you're named after someone or in your family. Maybe it was a a tradition that, that the son would get the father's name or the firstborn son would get the father's name. Or maybe there was a family name that it went into the middle name. You know, every person in your family, uh, male or female, like had this middle name that traces through your family. Your name might have been given to you based on a close friend or another, you know, a close friend that really made an impact in your family's life. And they said, in honor, in recognition of that person, I want to give you their name. Some of you might not know anything about your name, where it came from or why your parents chose it uh, that day you were born. But we all have a name. And if your name is called, whether it's a, maybe a meeting at work or in your house, like your name is called, that person is calling you. All of you. They're not calling just a, a part of you. But they want, they're calling you. They're recognizing you as a person. And that's even the biblical understanding of this word name. When Jesus prays, hallowed be your name, the biblical understanding of name, a person's name was representative of that person. As a, the biblical understanding of a name of this word name, it represents the person. It represents the totality of the person. It's not, a, it's not a tag. It's not a label. It's them, who they are, their essence, their nature, their character. It reveals the character behind that person. The name is them. It encompasses all of them. Uh, pastor and author David Chakta uh, says this in one of his books. Talk about the name. What does God's name represent? 
God's name represents his reputation, his presence, his power, his action, his love, his being, his holiness, his grace, his judgment, his calling, and everything else. He just kind of lumps everything else in. Everything else that pertains to God is wrapped up in this little word, name. It's who he is. It's not a part of him. It's him. Hallowed be your name. You. Hallowed. Let's talk about that word. Hallowed be your name. It's not a word that we use a lot today. Uh, I don't know the last time other than the Lord's Prayer you used it. <laughs> it's interesting as I was uh, thinking and studying and preparing this week, what, uh, what kept coming to my mind was a memory from my childhood with this word, connected this word, hallowed. Uh, growing up, um, uh, I grew up north of Boston, and I'd watch um, Bruins and Celtics games, and they played in what was uh, then the original, there's still now, but there's the original Boston Garden. And I remember when the sportscasters, would, when, the, when the program, the sports program came on, they would, they would introduce, they would say, welcome to the hallowed halls of the Boston Garden. And I, uh, growing up, I was like, that's strange. I don't even know what that means. But I just heard it over and over and over again. And, and it came back to me this week as I was, I was thinking about this word, hallowed. And, and, and that, what they meant by that, what that announcer meant by the hallowed halls of the Boston Garden was that this arena was different. It was unique. And as you study the history, I actually did a little bit this week, it, it was a very unique place. It, it was a place that was designed for boxing. And what the designer said is, I want people to sit so close to the boxing ring, they see the sweat on the boxer. So it was originally designed for boxing, and now you put basketball, and you put hockey, and you put other events in there, so the crowd is literally on top of the, of the, of the players. They are close. They were close. There was no air conditioning in that building, which made for some very eventful games. Uh, if you watch, there's a, uh, uh, one of those ESPN 30 for 30s that came out uh, a few months ago about the Celtics and Lakers rivalry. There's a great playoff series where the heat in the arena was off the charts because there was no air conditioning. And people were getting just so wiped out during the game because it was so hot in <coughs> the arena. There was that. We get a, um, there was also, it's interesting, the basketball court was made of parquet. Most basketball courts are made of maple. What that meant was there was dead spots on the court, which meant as, a, as the players were bouncing the basketball, competing in these games, there were dead spots to where when they would bounce the ball, expecting it to come back up to their hand, it wouldn't. It would die. And that's what even gave the Boston Celtics a bit of a home court advantage because they knew where the dead spots were <laughs> on the court. So when that announcer introduced the hallowed halls uh, of the Boston Garden, he was saying, this arena is distinct. It's kind of set apart from others. And that's the imagery. That's the, 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 the understanding. We need to understand what this word, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. It means to be set apart. It means to be holy. It means to make holy. It's talking about reverence. It's talking about honor. It's talking about to glorify. It's talking about to magnify. 
So we put these two words, key words in this prayer together. Hallowed be your name. And Jesus is saying, when you pray, pray this way. Pray, hallowed be your name. God, with who you are, be holy. Your character, your person. God, may you be holy. May you be revered. May you be honored. May you be set apart, unlike any other in this world. I hope that brings up in you a logical question. Based on even, I appreciate the text, the verses that Pastor Jim read a moment ago from Isaiah 6, that the, the, Isaiah has this vision, we have these winged creatures, and they're covering their eyes, they're covering their feet, and they're flying, and, and they're crying out. So It's so loud that the door frames are shaking. And Isaiah sees this, and these creatures are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're declaring what is already true, that God is holy. He's set apart. He's unlike any other. He's distinct. So the question we have to ask ourselves is Jesus says, he wants us to pray, God, may you be holy, but he's already holy. So how in the world... Does this, how, how, do, how does praying this, like what does it look like? What are we saying when we are praying, hallowed be your name, Who, your name, your character, your essence, your nature, if he's already this way? So there's more, we're not necessarily adding to it. We're not making him holy. I want to say through this prayer, we are showing him to be holy. And I believe what we're asking, or what we're saying through this prayer is that we are joining, we're going to join with God. As we pray this prayer, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to join with God to show through our lives that he is holy. It's not that we're going to make him more holy because he already is. But as we pray this prayer, it begins to change how we live, how we look at our lives. And we realize we have... We've been invited in to through our lives, the way we live our lives, to show people around us, show our, those in our primary relationships, those in our neighborhoods, those in our workplace, that he is holy. He's set apart. He's distinct. It's joining with him. It's what John White, we talked about this quote last week. I felt it was good for us to talk about again. Prayer is not trying to, not you and I to try to move God. But he said, prayer is among other things being caught up in God's directions and activities. He orders affairs of the universe and he invites you and I to participate in prayer. Intercession is God in you. Partnership. He's inviting us into this to bring his perfect plans into being. So as we pray, hallowed be your name. What are we praying? We're saying, God, through our lives, would you show that you are holy? A question we want to keep asking ourselves over this journey as we go through uh, the, this Lord's Prayer uh, is how does praying, this, this is a petition, this is a request, this is, this is the ask. Jesus is saying, ask for this, pray this. So if this is the petition, 
how does that petition bring heaven to earth? I believe as we pray this prayer, when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're really praying and asking a few things. We're just looking at two. We're praying this first, make me and us holy. This is what we're praying when we pray this prayer. Make me and make us, and I put me and us, the individual and the sense of plural, like the community there, because even Jesus says, our Father. So there's a sense here that, and it's easy for us here in the West to focus on the individual and miss the community. And I believe it, where Jesus is in the first century here, where the context of these words, they focused more on the community and then the individual. And Jesus here is saying, our Father. So there's a sense of both and here, that we're praying for both personally and together as a church body that we would be holy. So we need to understand, as we think about being holy, we need to understand that, that those of us who are in Christ, those of us who accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, positionally, in Christ, we are holy. We've been forgiven of all of our sin, past, present, future, forgiven in Christ. That's why when, when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he can call them saints. And he was making a theological declaration. It wasn't just, well, that sounds nice. Let's call them saints. That, that they, they go to church. They're nice people. Let's call them saints. No, it was a theological declaration that they were saints and are saints. They've been set apart. That's what it means to be a saint. Set apart. Holy. So there's the positional that we are holy, but we also at the very same time have to talk about the practical. We know we're not. We know we're not. And this is where we have to take a few moments to talk about some things that are uncomfortable. We have to talk about struggles. We have to talk about sin. We have to talk about the way we live our lives because we know positionally we're holy, but when it comes to everyday life, we're not. We do things, we say things, we struggle with things that we know go against what the Word of God says. And we know we're even commanded to be holy. You just go back, even in this context, just to the end of chapter 5, uh, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus in this greater teaching as a Sermon on the Mount says this, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. <laughs> be holy. As God is holy, you be holy. So there's a sense there that positionally we are holy, but then there's also a sense the command to like be holy, to bring our lives more in line with what is true of us in Christ. So we have to take a few moments to talk about the things that make us unholy. And the list is endless, and we could talk a lot about things. Let's talk about anger. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. So anger is emotion. It's an emotion we feel based on the situations that come into our lives. But there's a sense there that the Bible says, in your anger, so when you feel that way, don't sin. For many of us, anger is a significant issue. You put us in front of people or a group of people, we don't show any of it. You get us behind closed doors at our house, in the workplace, it's a whole different story for some. 
It's rage. It lashes out. It hurts people, and for some, even physically. That anger is an issue for, for many people, and something maybe we don't talk about. Pride. It's interesting to me that this context of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is addressing public displays of righteousness, giving to the poor, praying, and fasting. Those are three key things within this culture that if you are a religious person, you do. You give to the poor, you pray, and you fast. And Jesus is saying, don't do all these things. Give to the poor, pray, and fast to be seen by other people. Why would we want to be seen by other people? It's pride. Look at me. And pride can rear its head in all of our lives in so many different ways. And again, this is where it's more we have to be honest with ourselves personally. Some of us, all of us struggle in different ways with pride, but some of us, it's, it's me a little more. And then maybe the last one, or it is not maybe, but the last one I just want to talk about today, and, and, and I think it's important to talk about because to some degree, it's the elephant in the room as it relates to church. We know it's there, it's out there, but we don't talk about it as much as we probably should, honestly. And it's related to sex and sexuality. This is, friends, the elephant in the room as it relates to church. It's not just stuff that's happening out in our world, but it's happening in the church. And sometimes we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it as it relates to being holy. As it relates to pornography, the stats are off the chart as it relates to born-again Christians. And sometimes our silence causes us not to talk about or think we can or feel the freedom to talk about if we're struggling with it. And as it relates to pornography, we can't just think about it being viewed. Friends, we also have to talk about being made. Most of us in this room have a little device called a smartphone. And what that device now opens up is not just viewing it, it's much more accessible than it's ever been. But friends, now you have a camera not just a still camera, but you have a video camera on you every day. And in the conversation related to pornography, we can't just talk about looking, like the struggle for people looking at it, but we also have to talk about it's being made. Snapping photos and sending videos of yourself to friends or to anyone else is pornography. And these things are happening in the church. And right now, maybe we're a little bit uncomfortable even talking about it in this way. But we have to, friends. If we're going to pray, hallowed be your name, we have to talk about the things that re reveal our unholiness. As it relates to sex and sexuality, there might be relationships right now that you are in with someone that is not your spouse. And no one else knows about it. And maybe it hasn't crossed a line yet. A physical line or emotional or wherever you know where the line might be. But you know it's inappropriate. You know it's going down that road. And might we have the courage to say, Lord, hallowed be your name. And have the courage to confess. Here at Hope, I want to let you know, it's okay not to be okay. 
Sometimes when we come to church, we feel like, I just got to put on this image or, you know, I, gotta, I, I can't let them know. This is a safe place. And we want you to feel the freedom to confess sin to one another, to address sin with one another. It's okay not to be okay. I like what Richard Sibbs says this. He says, there is more mercy in God than sin in you. Friends, I am so thankful for that. None of us are perfect. I don't, I don't present myself as a perfect follower of Jesus. There are things in my life that are unholy. That with God's help and others' help, I need to work on. And I'm working on. But I'm thankful for what Richard Sibbs says. There's more mercy in God than sin in you and I. And that's why we can confess sin. Because he's holy. We can bring it to him and he will forgive. So when we pray this prayer, hallowed be your name, we're praying, God, make me and make us holy. We're also praying this, make my life in our lives holy. So it's not just about the things that we struggle with, the things maybe we should say no to. We also need to talk about the things we need to say yes to. Sometimes as it relates to the church, we focus, or even evangelicalism, we focus on the, the things we say no to. And we totally miss, what are the things we're for? What is the church for? And to live that way. Say, these are the things we're for. Jesus boiled the, ten, or the, the commandments, Ten Commandments, and the law down to two, th- two commandments. Love God and love people. A, a religious leader, a, an expert in the law, asked Jesus about the second commandment, about loving your neighbor as yourself. And he said, who's my neighbor? Basically saying, who am I responsible to love? And Jesus tells the parable, it's a well-known parable, the Good Samaritan. And at the end of the parable, he flips the question from who's my neighbor to how am I being as a neighbor? So what he's saying is, he's not, Jesus is not saying, these are the 20 people that you are responsible to love. But he's saying, how are you loving those God's put around you? And when we flip the question, we realize the the high call to love those around us. As the body of Christ, as the church, friends, we are pro-life. We're for all life. My fear sometimes, though, as we think about pro-life, is we limit it just to uh, the child that's unborn in their mother's womb. And that's a vital part of being pro-life. But I believe the Bible teaches us to be pro-life from womb to tomb. All people, whether they look like me, come from where I live, that we're to be for all people. For me, the questions about immigration and even now the DACA debate and all of that, to me, it's a pro-life issue. It's it's not a a, a political issue. It's a pro-life issue. And are we going to be people, I know it's complex, and, and, but, but are we going to be people that are pro-life across the board? Not just in the womb, but all the way through. Are we to be the church that speaks up for the oppressed? Those who are facing injustices. In not just in like national scale, but there's injustices that are probably taking place in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school. 
And will we be those followers of Jesus that pray, hallowed be your name? And praying that shows that we, through our lives, are going to show the character of God through the way we live. And being people that will speak up for injustice and speak up for the oppressed and care for the widows and the orphans and lead the way. The church, I believe, should be leading the way as it relates to, you know, again, if we're pro-life, we should be leading the way as it relates to adoption and fostering. And I'm so thankful that so many families here at Hope are, they've adopted and they're fostering. And I pray that would even increase more and more because of what we believe in the God that we're saying, I don't want to show your life through me. It's all these things. God, would you make my life and our lives holy? Would people see your character through the way we live our lives? Loving the least of these. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Hallowed be your name. It's a simple prayer. But friends, I want to say, I think it's actually pretty dangerous. As I've thought more about it, I think it's a pretty dangerous prayer to pray because God will make his name holy. And are we willing to say, God, surface the issues in my life that are showing the contrary? They are not. And surface the issues in my life, the ways I'm living that are not showing your character right. So we're saying, God, make us and me holy and make our lives and our life holy. This prayer will surface these things in our lives. And are we willing to pray it? The world says, go make a name for yourself, doesn't it? Go make a name for yourself. And Jesus would say, hallowed be your name. This prayer kind of knocks you and I off the center. Sometimes we live our lives with a man-centered perspective. The world revolves around us. And this prayer knocks us off the center and says, let's have a God-centered perspective. And Jesus, even at the end, as he was nearing the end of his life, Again, this prayer wasn't just something he, he prayed, he lived out. And even Jesus, is, uh, in, in John chapter 12, uh, he's, he's talking to some of his disciples and some other people want to meet with him. And he's nearing, like going to, uh, he's going to be betrayed and arrested and tried and crucified. And he says this, he says, Father, glorify your name. Not me, not my name, but Father, glorify your name. You. And friends, here's, we're gonna, I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a song in a moment. But I don't know about you, but that's, that's the way I want to live. I want to live, I want to pray with this mindset, Father, this week, glorify your name through me. Surface the things in my life that are not holy. Help me live to show what you're for. So as we sing the song, it's a song we sing here a lot at Hope. It's, Lord, we need you. And we all do. Um, I just invite you to pray as we sing. You might want to pray in your seat. I don't know about you, but I'm going to take a few moments just to kneel up here and I'm going to pray. And God, I want to hallow your name. Hallowed be your name. You, not me. And might we have the courage to say, God, do that through my life this week. I'm going to pray and then we'll sing the song together. Jesus, I want to thank you again for this prayer that you taught your disciples. You teach us. You teach those that were there at the Sermon on the Mount. And 
who were listening to you taught them how to pray. It wasn't necessarily presenting a, a what to pray, but more a model. And honoring, revering, glorifying your Father's name was crucial. And Lord, this prayer, I believe, is a little dangerous. It'll make us uncomfortable. It'll cause us to have to talk about things maybe that we don't like to talk about, want to talk about. It'll cause us to look at things in our own hearts and behaviors. And, and Lord, I just pray that people would know this is a safe place. There's grace here. There's love. And Lord, I just pray that you would glorify your name through our lives, even this week. Help us to say no to sin, to confess sin, to bring others into our lives, not walk in isolation. And I pray through our lives, people would know what you're for. They would see what you're for through the way we live at work, the way we live at school, the way we live in our neighborhoods, the way we live behind closed doors in our homes. So God, we do pray this prayer, hallowed be your name. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.